you have an insert you can keep there in front of you to follow along, have your Bible open. Uh, The two main passages I'll look at uh, happen in Luke and in Matthew. The first chapter of both of those books contain the six different times angels appear in the Advent story. That's our focus as I have been walking through the Advent candle themes, biblical themes. Uh, We are to the angels of Advent. Now I do want to remind you, um, for this week we have a special service on Christmas Eve. Uh, This Saturday night we have two services. We did two this year because last year's was very full. Uh, We had chairs set up outside in the narthex. And so for two reasons. One, to make it a little more comfortable to have two, but also so you can invite people to come and not feel like it's going to, you know, pack it worse and we wouldn't be able to fit anybody. You can fit them, so bring them. And five and seven is when we'll have our services. And most churches in the area are having them earlier in the day, which makes sense, but we have big windows and we couldn't have a candlelight service before 5 p.m. So 5 p.m. and then 7 p.m. So it's really easy to invite somebody. This is the, probably the easiest invite to church you'll ever, ever have. What are you doing Christmas Eve? Our church has a special service. We'd love for you to come. What's it about? Well, basically it just talks about the Christmas story. And it uh, gives you an opportunity in a very low-impact way to invite folks to come, and they'll hear the gospel. That's what we'll cover, because we're going to walk through the Bible in the lessons and the carols we sing, and then I give a short meditation, even short by my account, uh, about the gospel. So invite people to come. That's this coming Saturday night, and uh, we look forward to that together. I want to cover with you a bit of a study on the angels um, of Advent, but to do so, give you some exposure to the angels in Scripture so we understand. We have a wonderful picture, thanks to our nativity pageant, of a kind of angel, but it's not the angelic angels. Uh, it's our children when they're dressed in their angel outfits, and it's beautiful, and it's cute, and it's adorable, and it helps tell a story, but the real angels look much more fearsome than that. Um, And they are daunting figures, created beings by God who are impressive uh, when they take their physical form. uh, But they are spiritual beings that we will see uh, the scripture teach quite a bit about, actually, um, and recognize that that's not the picture of angels uh, given in scripture. It's not also the Renaissance area, fat little chubby uh, cherubs with the wings and the, you know, Cupid kind of angels. Those are just artist depictions of something else. Uh, We want to see what scripture says about angels because they play a big role in the advent story you hear their names come up or their identities come up quite often and we sing about what the angels have proclaimed and we read the passages uh, week in and week out so let's get a better picture of who these angels are i will read uh this morning the passage that's listed second in your list of six angelic visitations the third one was read earlier by the swigards it will cover portions of these just so you can see in chronology, in the order that they appear, um, how it works. But here now as I read that second passage, I'll read uh, not all of the verses, but Luke 1, 26 through 33, as we have this episode where Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, speaks to Mary. Here as I read God's holy word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying 
and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Father, we do know and recognize, based on your word, there is more in this existence than meets the eye. Give us special insight and appreciation based on your word's revelation uh, concerning the role of angels, especially in the occasion uh, that we are focusing on this time of the year, the incarnation of Jesus. Cause us a deeper appreciation for you and move us to a more steadfast desire to obey you. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in college, I had uh, elective credits to fill out towards the end of my, into my senior year, and I remember looking at the list of classes, and I only needed a two-hour class. I didn't want a three-hour class. I wanted a two-hour class, because that's all I needed. And all I saw were three-hour classes and four-hour classes, and so I saw a two-hour class that said, Angelology. You laugh. But it's a two-hour class. I mean, what could you talk about for two hours about angels, right? So I signed myself up for it, and I took it, and it turns out that the teacher is uh, Fred Dickinson, who wrote a book called Angels, uh, Elect, and Evil, and it's 300 pages long, and it's exhaustive, and it's kind of funny because at that time in the 90s, there was this big spiritual warfare movement going on, teaching Christians how to fight off demons and stuff like that, and so that book came into popularity at that time because of that, but he wrote it many years before. And uh, the book is just a thorough systematic of all the passages that speak of angels, and it derives some points about it. It's actually excellent, and it took all of the two hours to study all of this. I never realized how much the Bible actually speaks about angels. And the reason we don't uh, see it spoken of too much is because it's laced throughout the scriptures, and they're always in a support role. There's never some major thing that we're called to attention with concerning the angels. I mean, something they do may be great, but it's never a command about what we should do in, cons- in relationship to the angels or how they are some kind of example to us or anything like that. Uh, they're always in a support role, uh, God's providential ministers, if you will, to move along his plan of redemption. We'll see that a little more as we walk through this together. But what I didn't realize before I took that class is that out of uh, the 66 books in the Bible, 34 of those books have reference to angels. 17 books in the Old Testament and 17 in the New Testament. I want to look at just a few of the major appearances as they fall out in order in the Christmas story as we all know it. If you look at your insert, there are six there listed. The first one, which we'll look at in a moment, is when an angel speaks to Zechariah. Now, Gabriel is a main herald angel or one who makes announcements. Back in the book of Daniel, Gabriel speaks, and then here to Zechariah, and then to Mary. But otherwise, we don't have angels named much. But here, the first episode is this angel speaking to Zechariah. But then we have the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary in the passage that I just read. In the the passage read by the Swigards, that's the third one, the angel speaking to Joseph. Then we have the angel speaking to the shepherds, which we studied last week. And then we have, again, two more incidents where Joseph hears from an angel in a dream. 
That's the last two passages listed there. Now I want you to think about times you have seen angels mentioned in Scripture. Where did they first occur? Just, I bet you haven't thought about this much, but you know. The very first time is in Genesis chapter 3. Mankind has fallen into sin. There they were in the Garden of Eden, perfect fellowship with God, and man falls into sin. And then what does God do? Listen to what it says in God's word, Genesis 3. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man was, has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of, the, of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a, a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Cherubim is, whenever it's beam, that's in the Hebrew a plural, so it's the cherubs plural. He put cherubs to guard the Garden of Eden so man could not enter back into it. So the first appearance of the angels in Scripture is the placement of the cherubim to guard the garden. The angels were to guard the glory of God from the sin of man. The angels were first put there to guard man from the glory of God at this point until the remedy for their sin would be given. Remember, he announces the remedy before he does this in Genesis 3.15. But in the meantime, he places angels so that man cannot enter again into the Garden of Eden and partake of the tree of life. Angels were there when man was created. They were created before people. Angels were there when man fell. Imagine seeing that. Angels witnessed the history of redemption and all God's work in that time of redemption over thousands of years. Angels were part of God's providence to work out his plan of redemption. God used angels on several occasions. Angels were there when God promised a Messiah. Angels announced the birth of Messiah. Angels ministered to Christ when he was on earth, when he was tempted by the devil. It was an angel that rolled away the stone and announced the resurrection of Christ. And it will be angels who accompany Jesus again when he comes. Angels play no small part in the plan of redemption. And we're still living as God redeems. So let's consider the angels of Advent in that light, in that context. Let's look at the first two visitations of the, in the Advent story before learning more about angels in general. Turn to Luke 1, 8 through 20. And here we have the episode with Zechariah. It's one of my favorite angelic visitations. It's very different than the one we'll see right after it with Mary. Mary believes what she hears, even though she's fearful, as any of us would be. Zechariah is very skeptical. Now you understand why Zechariah is skeptical. He's an old man. He's a priest. His wife's an old woman at this point, at least insofar as bearing children. So don't take any offense when I say how old she is. But to have a child, she's well into her 60s. And so this is when she's promised a child, which shocks him. He doesn't really believe it when he hears it. We've heard that kind of reaction before. And so Zechariah, who's just simply serving in the temple, is the first one to get revelation from an angel that it's time for the seed of the woman to be born. Not to his wife, but his wife will play a role in bearing a son who will fulfill prophecy as well. A prophecy in the Old Testament saying there would be one who would prepare the way for Jesus who would be a voice crying in the wilderness. 
And so we come to this story and the first appearance of an angel in the Advent story. Luke 1, starting at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And this is one of the reasons why I know the angels don't look like our children in the nativity pageant. Uh, Because there's no trouble with us parents. We get those pictures, and they look so cute, and they look so... This troubles anybody who sees an actual angel. Fear fell upon him, verse 12. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now, he's thinking to himself, which prayer, I'm sure. Which prayer could this be? Then listen to what the angel says. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. Wait a minute, I prayed that a long time ago, he had to be thinking. And you shall call his name John. And you will have have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. The angel's describing a prophet who will be born. There had been a, a long period with no prophetic voice, and this promised child will be a prophet. The last prophet in the truest sense of the Old Testament prophet before Jesus. Verse 17, and he will go before him in the, in, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Uh, the angel quoting the word of God, interlacing different prophets about who John would be, speaking to Zechariah. Zechariah said to the angel, Now remember this when we get to the passage about Mary. How shall I know this? Really what he's saying, we know by what the angel does. He's saying, no way. For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Very smart man. I'm an old man, she's advanced in years. Verse 19, and the angel answered to him, I am Gabriel. Now Gabriel's revealed in the book of Daniel and any Jewish priest knows that. Whoa. This isn't just any angel. This is Gabriel. For I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Think about this for a while, Zechariah. You'll have a chance to. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah the priest is struck mute until John is born. This unforgettable meeting with this angel is the first of the Advent story. So as you think about Advent this week, you think about it during the Christmas time, if if you're like my family, we'll read the story over and over and over again. Remember, though, the first time an angel speaks to someone in this episode is here with Zechariah. Now, let's compare this to the meeting with Mary. Luke 1, now down to verse 30. The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you please notice, it's constantly a do not be afraid has to be said when someone meets an angel. 
How do I know if I met an angel? You'll know if you met an angel. And it's not a common occurrence. It happens with centuries between. It's not something at all a regular way in which God uh, meets his people. It's part of usually his revelation history as we see here. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. All these covenantal fulfillments tied up into what the angel is saying. And Mary said to the angel, and notice she asks a question too, but we know that disbelief isn't part of the question like it was with Zechariah. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore... The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And this is something not said of any prophet prior. No priest had this said of him, and no king. This is different. And behold, your relative, this is her older cousin now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing, for nothing will be impossible with God. This, by the way, is a, is a refrain that is evidenced by the actions of angels if they don't say it. Nothing will be impossible with God. I had a friend of mine who's an unbeliever. I have two unbelieving friends who I keep contact with through a, through a text group I'm part of. It's a sports text group, and when our team's playing, we'll text back and forth. But every once in a while, this one friend likes to, likes to make fun of me for being a Christian. Uh, we go back a long way, so I make fun of him too in different ways. But he uh, claims he's an atheist. I got out of him that he says, okay, maybe I'm not really an atheist privately. But he did say to me, you know, he looks at our website every once in a while and he goes, you're going to preach about angels this week? You really believe angels? And I have to admit to you, I've believed for so long. I mean, angels are, are some of the easiest things to believe in if it's, you're talking about work. I mean, seriously? I mean, yeah, I also believe that God parted the Red Sea. I also believe that he tore down walls just by people shouting. Yes, I believe that, that God turned a river into blood. I think... God raised a man who was dead for multiple days. I think Jesus himself is God, and he raised, I mean, angels is easy. That's not a problem. Yeah, I believe in angels. That's what the scripture says. There's a whole lot more. What we see isn't all there is. We couldn't even handle seeing it all. Who are the angels? Well, let's consider that for a moment before we go further and look at some of the other episodes. Just give a survey. Now, by the way, this week, I know a lot of your home fellowship groups probably won't meet, but there still will be a discussion sheet that's on our website. If you want to learn more about angelology and some of the verses that are, that are filled in here, I'm going to put a couple links on that sheet on our website. I'll put it on the Facebook page of our church as well, just to go look at all the passages. If you want to have something to do in your Bible study this week, what a great thing to read through as you prepare for, you think of Christmas Eve and just studying the Bible. So I'll put this there for you, so you can check a lot of this, because I'm going to cover a lot that you won't be able to just look in your Bible. First of all, we know from Scripture that angels were created by God during the time he was creating, and before mankind was created. We know there are different kinds of angels. They are noted, the seraphim and the cherubim. The seraphim are the fiery ones who are in Isaiah 6. They seem to be angels who are there to, to constantly, maybe eternally praise God by what they shout and say, and they're fiery to look at. And there's some imagery given about them in Isaiah 6. There are also the cherubim who 
have kind of a guardian role or a herald role. We see that, obviously, with someone like Gabriel. Also, we have noted a a possible ranking within those angels. Uh, People try to be elaborate with this, but Scripture doesn't give us that kind of information. But we know some are called archangels, which would lead us to believe there are different levels of organization that God has given to these ministers of his providence. Collectively, they're often called the host of heaven. The host of heaven, the heavenly host, doesn't just mean the stars. Um, It refers to uh, the angelic beings as well. There are only three named in Scripture. Gabriel, who we have seen here appearing in the Advent story, but also back in the book of Daniel. But also Michael the archangel is referred to as well. There is also Lucifer, who became the devil. Now, a whole other study would have to fall from uh, what happened to the fallen angels who are the demons. Um, But we know from Scripture that at some point, Lucifer rebels in a third of all heaven. And this is all under God's sovereignty for his purpose and his plan. But what we know of the occurrence in history is that Lucifer and a third of the angels fell with him as condemned, evil, demonic. And they still have a role to play in all of God's providence. None of it's outside of his power. But that's how we know it's true. Thousands of these demons and Lucifer being the chief among them. So those are the only three angelic beings we have names for, at least given in Scripture. All sorts of mythical writings and lore and so forth that will name different angels. But these are the only ones God's word reveals. There are some inferences, though. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 148. I find this interesting about angels. It's a praise psalm, but he laces something interesting in it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. There seems to be a place or an abode of the angels, the heavens of the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So he... In creation of the heavens, he also has the creation of the angels included. In the book of Job, when God's speaking to Job, who's in a sense questioning God because of all the the oppression that has come to Job. And you remember the beginning of Job, the devil comes to God and asks to have access to Job essentially. And the sons of God assemble with Job. The sons of God in the book of Job are angels. We know this by the context. In the book of Job 38, verse 4, listen to what it says. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? This is God speaking to Job. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Speaking here of the angels existing before people existed. They were created before man. What are some of their characteristics? We don't know a lot about them. We know they can take certain forms. They look certain ways. They're recognizable when they do appear, but not exactly human either. Varied forms we see in Scripture. They seem to have a great power compared to man. There's two angels that hold back a whole city trying to tear down the walls in Sodom and Gomorrah. But this ranking I spoke of seems to be referred to by the Apostle Paul in several passages. There are passages that I admit to you that I read all the time, but I kind of pass over that portion because I just kind of lump it in with, with, oh, he's just talking about the heavens, meaning the planets and the stars. 
But listen closely to Colossians 1, a passage you're probably familiar with, and you'll see how the angels are referenced. Talking about Jesus, Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He seems to be lacing the earthly with the heavenly. But if that's not enough, he says in Romans 8, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pause there for a moment. What a sermon that would be. See how powerful the angels are? And they can't keep you from the love of God in Christ. But they're angels. And they're referred to in this powerful way. Paul writes in Ephesians. Paul writes quite a bit in reference to the angels. Ephesians 1 and 2, two of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And I admit to you, when I read through them, I don't pause and think long enough about what is actually being said. He's talking about Christ. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope in which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. One other passage from from Paul that reminds us of this, these rulers and principalities and these powers in this heavenly realm where the angels preside or where they reign. In Colossians 3, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So through the church, through his redeemed, God will actually accent something that even the angels don't know completely. There's a sense in which they observe even what God's doing through the church. Verse 11 of Colossians 3, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. I think I read through these passages so quickly without thinking of the depth of them is because I could hardly even handle the grace given to me as a sinner, let alone to think of the heavenly realms. And there it is, in its depths. What's the purpose of angels? Multiple things are revealed in Scripture. Um, They are given a certain authority. We know when archangel, when ark is put in the title, there's some kind of ranking or authority uh, there, was an, there were angels placed over the garden. Um, we know that in Jude 6, some angels left their place of authority, reference to the fallen angels. So they had some place they were supposed to keep, and they didn't keep it. Daniel speaks of angels in terms of being princes. So they have some realm that God gives them, some purpose of oversight under God. Some are created for perpetual worship, like the seraphs around the throne in Isaiah 6. Some, were, some apparently rejoice, as it says in Luke 15, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In Luke 2, when the announcement of Christ's birth was made, 
The angels rejoice and worship God. Glory to God in the highest. They make sure that somebody in this quiet, obscure night will recognize what's just happened. The angels will not let pass that thousands-year-old prophecy was now coming true. And so they shout it, and the shepherds hear it, and pass that on. And of course, in Revelation 5, there's a picture of the angels singing in worship to God. So they're created for perpetual worship. That's part of their purpose. Some are used by God to protect people or help them win a battle. The two angels at Sodom and Gomorrah that I referred to. But also, there was an angel that struck dead the whole army of Sennacherib. The angel of the Lord. And some people think when the angel of the Lord is referred to in the Old Testament, it's certainly true in some of the cases, it's really a reference to the pre-incarnate Jesus himself. Michael, the archangel, leading a final battle in Revelation. Some angels serve as heralds to give divine announcements, to make very clear this is God's will. In Daniel chapter 10, we see this. Daniel chapter 8, chapter 9 as well. Gabriel speaks. In Luke and in Matthew, we have these episodes of heralds announcing they're ministers of God's providence. They are agents of God's sovereign plan. For God, they are there to accent his worship, to point all creation to worship him. They're messengers for God. Uh, God gives them a certain authority over nature at times, even nations like Persia, as it's described in Daniel 10. Uh, Related to Jesus, the angels predict his coming and announce his coming. They protected his arrival. They strengthened and ministered him to him. They announce his resurrection. They accompany him when he returns. And to us believers, they're there for our protection, for our guardianship, Uh, for deliverance, for direction, for strength. Now, let me be clear. It doesn't say in the Bible we should seek angels to help us with stuff. We are to seek God to help us. God can use any means. And sometimes, according to Scripture's examples, he may use angelic beings to protect. We don't know. We shouldn't guess. But realize and believe he can and does. I love what it says in Hebrews about angels, in chapter 1 in particular, and to which of the angels has he ever said, God never said to the angels what he says to Jesus, so let's be clear. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He never says it to an angel. And this is the definition maybe most helpful biblically for what angels do for us. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of Hebrews, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Really, that's the clearest biblical definition of what an angel does. Sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation, those who believe. Why are the angels enlisted for service during the Advent story, during the time of Jesus' birth and incarnation? Now, there are big events that occur when angels show up, and there could be no bigger event than God the Son becoming man. I mean, what bigger event could you think of other than that God-man dying for our sins? And so it demands angels. I mean, it demanded angels to stop people from going back into the garden. It demanded angels to do some of the redemptive works of the Old Testament that no man could do. It demanded angels to to minister to Jesus in the wilderness. It demanded angels to announce the birth of Christ. So the passage that's next in the order, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, I'll just highlight a few of the verses since it has been read. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, he figured she cheated on him. 
but didn't want to make a display of her. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In the engagement process, it was still within the law for them to divorce. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is the first of three times this happens to Joseph. Son of Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. This is Isaiah chapter 7. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Two other times the angels speak to Joseph. The next time is when he tells in Matthew 2, verse 13 to 15, he tells Joseph in a dream, you need to get out of Bethlehem because Herod is going to come and kill the children. And that night, before those children are killed, a prophecy that was given in the Old Testament, uh, Joseph gets out of Bethlehem and flees to Egypt. Another fulfilled prophecy. And then, after he was there just a bit, Herod, who had killed the children, in Matthew 2, while they were still in Egypt, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So the angel comes back to Joseph and says, You can go back now. And he goes to Nazareth, and this is where Jesus is raised. Those are five of the occurrences of angels, appearances of angels at Advent. What does the ministry of angels teach us? Well, on the large, on the whole of Scripture, as I mentioned before, and I'll say again, we never pray to angels. We never appeal to them. I think you have to be careful about this. There's a lot of superstition and things. People will have angel this or angel that, and they, this angel's watching over me. No, you don't know that. God's watching over you. How he watches over you is up to him. He doesn't tell you every which way. He doesn't need angels. He may use them. But we're never to pray to angels or appeal to them. No precedent or commandment. In fact, the only thing I can tell you for sure is if an angel knew you did that, he would rebuke you. In Revelation 22, the apostle John was confronted by an angel. It says, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. The angel who showed him these things. And the angel said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. You couldn't get any more explicit than what the angels themselves say. Don't pray to them, don't worship, and don't expect them to help you. Go to God. So we learn this as we study who the angels are in Scripture, and I think it helps. Also, we learn from the angels and God's use of the angels that we should marvel. We should absolutely marvel. Again, we should say, wow, at God's ability to make his will come to pass. Nothing man can do will thwart it to the point that he'll use angels to make it happen. Another thing we learn from the angels and the study thereof, the presence of angels, when they're announcing something, when they're guiding events like this, this tells us something massive, massive is happening. And there is nothing more massive than the incarnation of Jesus aside from his laying his own life down for us. 
There's one other application I want you to think about today. Hebrews 13. He says to Christians, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby, some have entertained angels unawares. Now that you know what angels are, hopefully that changes your perspective on your need to be giving and hospitable. In conclusion, let me just give you this quick high point. High points about angels as you think about angels this Advent. Genesis 3, the first appearance. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. The angels observe the fall of man, the creation of man, then the tragic fall of man, and then they have to guard against man going into the place that was created for man. What a terrible thing to have to do. Then, Luke chapter 2. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Do you think the angels, as God's created servant beings, who had to watch the fall of man, had to guard man against entering the garden, did they feel the passage of time? And were they just bursting to be able to tell the garden's almost open again? And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great with fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. No more flaming sword to keep away from God. No more dividing wall of separation. I got news for you, the devil. basically the angel saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. They just bust loose. They wanted to get this out. They wanted to say the praise that needed to be said because of what this all meant. The seed of the woman was born who would crush the head of the serpent. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then of course when Jesus had to meet the devil in the wilderness. You know why he had to meet the devil in the wilderness? He had to do what Adam didn't do as our representative. He had to withstand the temptation of Satan and stand up to it, and he does. And after he succeeds, proving he is now the second Adam, the one who did what the first Adam failed at and we all fell with, now the second Adam, who will be our representative, the one who will restore paradise that was lost, Now, what does it say in Matthew 4 after that? The devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Then my favorite appearance so far of the angels. There'll be a greater one. In Matthew 28, and I close with this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, 
see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Remember that when you study the angels this week. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you have torn down the dividing wall of separation by the sacrifice of your son. We're so grateful that you sent the angels again, this time in victorious announcement rather than keeping us out. Lord, I pray for anyone who has not yet come to know you, that you would draw them to believe on Christ. Thank you for the way you have moved all these things to tell this story just as it has happened. I pray, Lord, that this week would be a special week of reflection, a week of contemplation, a week of rejoicing and worshiping you for the salvation you have given us through Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen.